This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 465 of the Staple Scoop Show. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Horselovers.com, Sparkle and Boom, and you, our auditors. This week, we continue our Getting to Know the Host series with a look back at Glenn and his early years. Plus, the Horselovers.com product review is the Ovation Mudsters. Listen in. You're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show, where host Glenn and Helena guide you through some of the horse world's most fascinating stories. Owning and loving horses means there's always a story to tell. It may be funny, exciting, or inspiring, but it will almost always be fascinating. Join us for The Scoop each week as we tap into the stories that are woven into everything we do, at the barn, at home, and everywhere in between. This is In the Hot Seat, Glenn the Geek. And this is Helena B., and you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. I'm so excited to yeah, get to I'm know so you, nervous. Glenn. I'm very nervous. <laughs> Nervous. So exciting! It's just like our first date. <laughs> I've been on a few of those. Been a long <laughs> time though, Helena, since I was on a first date. A long time. Although every time I start a new show with a new host, it seems like dating. You know what I mean? It seems like first dates all over again. You have to get to know yeah. each other and all of that. No, we we started this with you. We did uh, the early life of Helena, and then we did Doctor Wendy and her her very odd family, and then. Uh, I guess it's my turn. The listeners seem to like it a lot, so we thought we'd continue through the host. And I thought, who better to interview me than you? Which makes me a little nervous, actually, to be honest. <laughs> no, I'll be very kind. Actually, there are, there's a lot about your history that uh, we've got some big gaps around. So I'd be interested in filling those out. That, that and may you know be what? intentional. You, you remember? <laughs> you, I know. Well, you've, you've also been... You've been shooting your story off it here and there throughout yes. the years, and I may just have tuned you out. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> Plenty true. of times, like yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so these are meant for the listener benefit. This is not necessarily horse related. This is our early lives, and basically up to the point where we you got to know us, uh, starting the shows. So. Yeah, we're people before we're horse people, right. and you know those we those personalities sort of develop in parallel. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to go way back. With my opening question for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. It's much harder to be the interviewee. I wish we were doing it? this at night so I was drinking. That would be, <laughs> that would be better. <laughs> I, I, I'll throw in a couple of zingers just for fun. Okay. So uh, you grew up in Pennsylvania, right? A small yep. town. Little town what in Pennsylvania. Was, what was the name of the town? Terry Hill. Terry Hill, Pennsylvania. It's in Lancaster County, Amish country. In the heart of Amish country. Little town. Um, you know, maybe a couple thousand people went to high or went to elementary school in town. We walked to school, like they said. You really did? Oh, we walked to school about five blocks. Did you have shoes to wear? We walked from uptown to downtown to go to school, and you know, it doesn't matter what the weather was. But my favorite part about that was there was a little store called Burkett's. And it was one of those, they don't have these little, it was like the first mini markets, only they weren't called mini markets. They were just little country stores back then. Yeah. Country stores. Yeah. 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 And where they had the coolers with ice and your, your glass bottled soda pops. And we used to stop every day on the way home and get a soda. We used to get a Coke out of the ice in the cooler, which was the coolest thing. And, and that started your love affair with sugar. Yeah, exactly. And then they had all these candy, you know, they had all this candy there. It was pretty cheap back then. So we'd always scrounge money from mom. And sometimes it was only once a week. Sometimes if we could mow lawns or something, then we could we could do that more often. 
But that wow. was that was right on the way home on the walk. Home. I remember the candy store thing too. Did you ever get the bubble gum? You know, that came in the, the bazooka bubble gum. Oh yeah, and the little strips with the little sugar candy stuck to it. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you got the paper yeah. where you got more paper than candy. Yeah, yeah. and you ate paper <laughs> exactly. You know, you ate ate it ate anyway. Some paper. Yeah. Did you have how many brothers and sisters did you have? Three brothers, no sisters, much to my mom's chagrin. And where did you fall in the birth order? I am number three. Okay. So my oldest brother is eight years older, and then six years older, and then me, and then my my little brother's uh, two years uh, younger than I am. And he's and, right now, here. He's the one that lives a mile from us down here in Florida. Okay. Okay. And where's everybody else? Are they spread out pretty North far? North Carolina or? and Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. All right. So not too bad. We get to see each other every once in a while. We have family reunions. I think the last one was in Nashville, where we all get together, and we just spend a week in Nashville together. It was a lot of fun. Good. So you get along with your brothers. Yep. Uh, Family all gets along great. We've never had any trouble that way at all. That's good. You're rare. (laughs) And all of them have been married for 20-plus years to the same person. That's and how long were your parents? Tell us about your parents. Well, they they were married for 55 before they died. Um, Wow. Yeah, they were... They were never leaving each other for anything. Uh, but my dad was a USDA egg inspector for the entire for his entire career. He worked for the USDA and he inspected eggs. We used to go to we used to go to the Weaver factory in New Holland with him as we were little kids. He used to bring us in occasionally, and there'd be these thousands and thousands of eggs coming down the lines. And his job was to take some off, and then he would do what he called candle them, which is put them under the light to make sure the eggs were up to quality. Yeah. And then he used to uh he used to have to do the tanker trucks cuz they would break a million eggs and put them in this great big tanker truck 18-wheel tanker truck and then yeah. have liquid egg for factories and processing like Hershey's and stuff. And uh he used to have to go in and check for salmonella and stuff. And I remember him occasionally saying when he, when a tanker truck would come up contaminated, the company would try and bribe him and <laughs> <laughs> to wow. get the uh, tanker truck out because, you know, it's a tanker truck full of eggs. That's has to be a zillion eggs. So he he was always the most honest guy I ever met. He would never, ever do anything like that. He was Well, you know, you're a pretty straightforward guy, too. You know, I, that's one of the things that I love about you. It's one of the things that Buck loves about you. You're very genuine and you have great ethics. You have a very strong undercurrent of ethics in everything you do. And that's that's very magnetic. I got that from That's my dad. Funny. You know, he was very quiet. He's the exact opposite of I, that I am. Yeah. But he was just, he, for all four of us, he was our guy. You know, my mom was, my mom, my mom was one, the one that would drive us a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, but dad was always the one, you know. That mom all, would drive. Yeah. That's a mom's job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she, she, she was she did, more outgoing and yeah, and, and to a fault. And she would, uh, she was also a busybody. So she would. You know, if you were dating somebody, she would let you, my mom always let you know exactly how you felt and always let the girl know exactly how she felt about them. Okay. Which didn't always go well. <laughs> Listen, well, how did, how did she, how, did she meet Jennifer? Yeah, she liked yeah, she Jennifer. did. She knew Jennifer. Yeah, okay. I had a fiance. I got engaged at 22. What? Yeah, to a girl. And we were engaged for, th- that's a funny story if you want to hear that. So we'd been dating for two years and everything was fine. Um. And I, I just was never a believer in asking the parents to, because I'm not marrying the parents. I, I thought I wasn't marrying the parents. I learned this lesson the hard way. I was 22. I was a know-it-all. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, so I didn't ask her parents, which wouldn't have mattered anyway in the long run. But the day we got engaged to, to her, we'll call her Sally. That's not her real name. The day I got engaged yeah. to Sally, um, her parents never talked to me again. 
because Why? I was taking their little girl away. And and you hadn't asked them first? And Well, that, that wasn't even the issue. It was I was taking their little girl away. And I was fine as long as we were dating. And apparently they did the same thing when she got engaged after me, after we broke up. She got engaged and then married. But they did the same thing. They wouldn't talk to him for years. So they were just a little out there. And uh, no, so yeah. we, we, we did that for a year. And then we finally determined that, that it just wasn't going to work with that situation. Yeah. So, so plus she spent all my money and that was the other thing. So I, oh, <laughs> I was actually making yeah, a lot of money back then and she, she because, because you it. don't spend any money on horses. No, <laughs> no, no. Then I met, then I met a horse girl. Little did I know. <laughs> That's really interesting. So how long I know we was jumped it ahead before... a few decades there? <laughs> I know. Well, I'm all over the place. Again, these are the gaps. I want to fill in the gaps. So how long after that did you meet Jennifer? Oh, wow. It was a couple of years. Okay. After that. And you yeah. guys met at the Renaissance Fair, right? We met at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. And what the story about that is, I, I had been dating a couple of people off and on. I, you know, at that point, at the to back up a little, at the age of 18, I was supposed to go to college. I had been accepted at Notre Dame. I was the only one of the four boys that was uh, going to go to college. The other three had trades and they did not. So my parents were so excited about that. And then one of my high school teachers, before I graduated high school, said, hey, look, you're gonna, you would make a really good salesman. I'm quitting teaching and going into this insurance thing. You should try it over the summer and see how you like it. Well, I, I actually was pretty good at it and made quite a bit of money. Mm, so then great I, temptation. I said, well, I'll put college on hold for a year <laughs> and I'll go out and make some money because my mom and dad could not afford to say I was paying for college. Yeah. So I, you know, I did need, and Notre Dame even then wasn't cheap when you're out of stater. So, and we were Catholic. So going to Notre Dame was the other feather in my cap. Yeah. Um, it's a big deal. But then I made so much money the next year that I put it off another year. And then it, I've never gone to college. <laughs> so I never ended up going because I was, I was making serious money for somebody that was 20 years old. It was that. Sally, the fiance, was good at spending it, but um, mm. and I was pretty good at spending it because what did I know? But yeah, so there you go. That's what. But that's there. you know that's the story of most twenty-two to twenty-nine-year-olds. They they get a taste of their first of financial independence, and everything kind of takes the backseat, you know. And especially if you have a girl or if you have a partner or you're in a, a relationship, you're completely consumed with that. And why wouldn't you be? Everything is great. You know, we don't have the well, long-term vision to say. Hmm. And looking back, I think it was a mistake making, not a mistake. I think I would have been better off in the future making, not making that much money right away. Yeah, agreed. You know, and agreed. do I miss going to college? You know, the one reason I miss going to college is, the answer to the question is no, I don't, I, I don't think I missed out on anything not going to college, the way things turned out. Yeah. But. I missed the the party side of going to college. I kind of missed having that whole experience. But um, yeah, because I was really in the workforce from the time I was 18. I mean, headlong in the workforce as a salesman. Yeah. So, so it was... So were you in were you in sales then by, by the time you met Jen? Oh, yeah. I was still in... Yep. I had spent 15 years doing that. So when I met Jennifer was at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. And I had always wanted to act, but never did in high school. I was a tennis player. I was a wrestler, a bad wrestler, pretty good tennis player. Uh, and the only reason I wrestled is because my brothers did, and I felt I like I had to, uh, even though yeah. I spent most of my time getting pinned, because um, yeah. I was so skinny. So I 
never, you know, I never, sports were okay. I really liked tennis and played tennis for till, till recently. And I said to my dad, I've always wanted to act. There's this new Renaissance Fair. It was brand new, Pennsylvania. It was not too far away. Still in Lancaster County, about 45 minutes away. I told my dad that year, I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to get a job at the Renaissance Fair. I'm just going to show up. And I did. I showed up and they needed somebody that was loud that day for something. <laughs> they gave me a costume and said, you go announce, because they determined I was pretty loud. And they, you go announce something. Well, every weekend they asked me back. I kept coming back. And then the next year, I told my dad... I'm going to be an actual performer next year. They want me to come back and be an actor. So I took all the acting classes and improv classes and all of that. And I told my dad, I'm going to meet my wife at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair this year. Second weekend, I saw Jennifer at the archery range from the back. I saw her cute butt in yellow pants. And <laughs> that's the first thing I saw of Jennifer. Yellow, bright yellow pants and a cute butt. And you I, are so like my husband. It's scary. It was, it was the, you know, my job was, I was, pens- I was town crier because I was the loudest one. And town flirt. I was supposed to flirt with everybody. That was my job. And every girl that came in, I was supposed to kiss their hand. And it was pretty small back then. It wasn't like it is now 100,000 people in a day. Uh, So that was my job. And I hadn't seen her yet today. So I went over and flirted with her. I didn't know she was with her mom. And you know her mom. So I I was with her mom and her stepdad. Or she was with her mom and her stepdad. And they were there. And of course, they were, we were 25 then. Okay, so they were ready age. for her to like quit the horse thing and get married. Uh, this horse thing was was uh, really putting a squash on her dating. So because she was working at full time, like a hundred thousand hours a week for a rider back then as a groom, and that's how we met. And she said to me, "She said I'm going to come back and see you next weekend." And we had just spent five minutes together, literally. And what did you do? So you just went up and you introduced yourself yeah, I and, kissed and hands. you took her that hand. That was my job. I, I, I kissed almost every woman's hand that came in there, uh, which led to some very interesting propositions, by the way. <laughs> so, so, so you, you literally spent five minutes with Jennifer. Did you, was there like sparkly goodness between you? I think you? so. Yeah, I think it was. And I think she kind of was just flattered that she was noticed out of the crowd, you know, and uh, we we got chat. We actually saw each other once later in the day when, when she was alone at that point, and we chatted some more, but I was in character, you know, so I wasn't coming out of character. And then she said, I'm going to come back and see you next week. Well, I kind of discounted it because there were some interesting things that were said. Uh, yeah. When you're the town flirt, uh, you heard some interesting things. Uh, and... Sure. And then next Saturday rolled around, and I was kind of looking forward to maybe her coming back. And I found myself during the week thinking about it, which I hadn't thought about anybody else, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, again, it was all just talk. It was play acting. So uh, then about two in the afternoon rolled around on that Saturday of the fair, and I just forgot about it because I said, well, she's not coming. Yeah. yeah. And then about 2.30, now this is before cell phones. You know, so she couldn't tell me she was coming. She just had to find me on the grounds. Oh, she, my God. You just had and you just had to wait. I had to wait. Yeah. And it was just whether I'd run into her or not. You know, it was a smaller fair back then, but it's still thousands of people there. Yeah. So she knew what show I did. One of the shows that I did, uh, we did a singing show. I was not singing. We did a singing show with the wenches who were singing. And I was the guy. I was the Casanova type guy and I was on stage and she knew the which show I was going to be at. And she showed up and she showed up in costume. She had spent the entire week sewing her own costume. Every night after work, she had gotten this material from her mom, and she got borrowed a mom's sewing machine, and she sewed her own costume the entire week. 
Oh my gosh. I know. Jen. Isn't that a cool story? And then, that then I knew that was it. <laughs> That's it. Yep. Then what? I knew that was it. <laughs> oh yeah, you fell hard. <laughs> well, you know, girl sews her costume up. And she was wearing she had sewed in a push-up bra. You know, which yeah. made her look like she had ten times more than she did. So Jennifer. that didn't that didn't that didn't hurt. You guys, I wish you could all <laughs> see my face right now. I'm smelling so big it hurts. I know, because you know how innocent Jennifer is about everything. <laughs> I've heard variations of the story over the years, but I, I can hear it again and again and again. Yeah, so that's and, how I knew that uh, wow, she really likes me. <laughs> I was so flattered. when did you go out on your first official date? I asked her out the following week because she still had to work all week every week. Yeah. Um, and she was like two hours from where the fair was. So I met her in Harrisburg the following week. Uh, there's a funny story around this too. So I met her in Harrisburg the following week. And I know I've told this story before, but let me tell this story again, because okay. it's an integral part of the story. That same day that she comes back to meet me, that second time we'd ever seen each other, they had this, they had a kissing squire and a kissing wench, and I apologize for the people who've heard it before, that they actually had those at the fairs, it was before AIDS, <laughs> they had those yeah. at the fairs back then, and you would pay them as a as a patron, you would pay them a dollar for a peck and five dollars for a French kiss. Oh, God, <laughs> They did this, this, the, this, these two did this all day long. That is so gross. What, I know. I, they made hundreds and hundreds. He made more than she did. Actually. I'm like gagging. I know. They were a couple too, by the way. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have. I know. I'm going to have. Well, I know. I'm a little I know. messed up you from this right now. So, she, so they. So Jennifer was doing this? No, no, no. No, okay. they, this couple was doing it with everybody. And it just happened that we were doing this little bit in the middle of the town square and there were hundreds of people around. Okay. And I was doing this with them. We were doing something. I don't remember what. And I saw Jennifer over there along the edge. And I said, I challenged them to a kiss off. So they would kiss each other. And they were a couple despite kissing everybody at the fair. Uh, okay. And, I, and okay. they said, well, you're going to need somebody. And I picked Jennifer. Okay, so that's, this is the story here. All right, I got a little confused there. Yeah. So, okay, keep so going. I picked keep Jennifer going. out of the crowd, and we had a kiss off to see who could kiss the longest. So my first kiss with Jennifer was in front of hundreds of people at the fair. Were you nervous? I think I was a little bit nervous, yeah. And I also wanted to win. <laughs> so... You so, are very competitive. You both are very competitive. <laughs> this is the perfect first kiss for you guys. So we won. Uh, ironically, they had to tell us to stop because they had finished and we didn't notice. So they told us to stop. And two seconds later, we all get claps, right? Everybody's clapping for us. Two seconds later, this guy, this fiery redhead, loud guy walks out of the crowd and runs up and gives Jennifer a big hug. And that's how I met her dad. Oh, God. <laughs> now, it turns out that at the age of 25, they were very happy she was kissing anybody. So <laughs> it wasn't a bad thing. It turned out to be a yeah. good thing. Uh, yeah, so that's how I met her dad. She, he witnessed that, and that's how I met him. Well, you can really only go up from there. So, okay. okay. So that was the, and then the following weekend, we went out on a real date to dinner and everything. And uh, that was it. That was it. I had been kind of dating a dancer at that point, And I dropped her the next week and that was it. <laughs> we were, we were that happened running. to me too. <laughs> when that person comes along with the right sparkly, sparky goodness, you're like, okay, I'm all set with anything else that ever came before you. <laughs> 
you know, I, so you know, you, you have. I, Go ahead. I knew that she was the one, and thirty years later, we're still together. So I guess so. Yeah, you. It's chemistry. You know, you yeah. you can learn all the other parts of being a good partner. You can work on it. You can do your homework, right? But you you can never manufacture the chemistry. So you kind of got to go with that sparkly goodness. That's true. Now, once you made the connection with Jennifer and, you know, you're like, all right, I want to see more of this girl. Definitely. How did you guys figure out what kinds of things you wanted to do together? I mean, it's difficult to just drag for her to just drag you into the horse thing right away. What kinds of shared interests did you have that didn't involve horses? I mean, you played tennis and uh, you did like the acting thing. Did that take up a lot of your dating time? It did at first because we were still in the fair season. But, they, you know, fair season's 10 weeks, so it's yeah. pretty short. And she lived an hour and a half, two hours away from me. So I'd only ever see her on weekends anyway. Um, you know, I would go up on the weekend to see her. The following year then, she decided, because I still wanted to do the acting thing at the Renaissance Fair, because now I was a veteran instead of a rookie. Yeah. You know, I had one year under my belt, two, one and a half years. So she decided to become a performer too. So we both went down and did the whole uh, school again and the whole thing, improv class. And then she became a pickle wench the, that, that year. She was <laughs> a pickle that. wench. Now, she wasn't selling pickles. She was doing interesting things with pickles. <clears throat> um, she would cut them into little bunny rabbit shapes and she would cure people's colds by dribbling pickle juice on their heads. And, you know, <laughs> she, she did all this silly stuff with pickles. And uh, she was probably one of the best pickle wenches they ever had. And she, she just, she had a great time and we worked the fair together that year. We met a lot of cool people. And then the following year, I think we may have worked a fair one more year. And then we decided to, you know, we didn't want to, we didn't want it to end. We were having so much fun with the whole acting thing. So we hired half the, half the Renaissance Fair cast away. We started a company called the Medieval Feasting Guild. And that's how our acting company started. We're doing medieval feasts at restaurants. There was a castle restaurant that was in Reading, Pennsylvania, about an hour from us. And we made a deal with them to do open to the public shows there and private shows for corporations there. And that's where we did most of our shows. We ended up getting married there as a, in a medieval wedding and the whole thing. So that's how the acting started. That cast, we stayed with that cast. I posted a picture of it recently. We stayed with that cast for 10 years, 450 shows. So that was a really big part of the foundation of, of how you guys got started together, meaning creating this, um, this, this Glenn and Jennifer, the Glennifer, yep. you know, it, Right. It, that was sort of the foundation of it. Did you find yourself pulling her away from horse stuff or do you did she have a balanced approach to tending to her horse love and now her Glenn? Well, love? She was teaching a lot of lessons back then and going to shows. So we would go yeah. to a lot of shows and and I kind of got indoctrinated in the horse thing gradually. Although she lived on a hundred acre farm, it was this really old house. It was her parents house. It was this really old house, um, had no heat. Not kidding you. The only heat it had when we when when I started coming up there visiting her was a coal fired furnace in the basement, and it was broken, so it had no regulator. So it, in the winter, it would get so hot that we'd have to open all the windows in the house. Yeah. 
Oh, God. And then the one day it was so hot, the wallpaper started peeling off the walls. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Because you couldn't lucky regulate the, the house heat. didn't burn down. Oh, we were lucky. We were so lucky that house didn't burn down. <laughs> and then there was no heat upstairs. So the upstairs was freezing cold. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was an interesting house to live in. So, you know, there were, it wasn't easy when I first met her. She was living in some pretty rough conditions. The property was nice and beautiful, but yeah. boy, it was, the house was not. <laughs> Country living at its finest. Yep. Now, okay, so you have, so, so your life up until this point, you, you, you dibble dabbled in some sports. You really, you were strong at this point, your career was, um, was started. I mean, you were, you were great at sales and to some extent acting is, you know, you're selling a character, you're selling a story. I think they're right? very related. Actually. Yeah, I do. I think especially improv, if you're an improv performer, that yeah. helped me so much in sales. I think I've said this on podcasts before. I think being an improv actor helped me more in sales than any other thing. And you know what? Being a podcaster has helped me in selling and persuading. Really? I think, yeah. oh, absolutely. And even Buck, the more you get used to converting your thoughts into words, into the spoken language, it, the faster it comes to you. It's definitely a muscle, I think, that you can build up and, and get good at using. So you have this, uh, this strength, you know, this, uh, this gregariousness about you. You are now fine-tuning it uh, professionally. You meet this beautiful woman, you guys are great together. You connect. You start an acting company, and you're just attracting these wonderful people. And it, it has a long life. At what point did you say or did you guys see that things were about to change? Like, okay, we feel that this chapter in our lives is coming to a close. It's time for us to start something new. Tell us a story about that transition. Well, we uh, at one point – we we really actually made her parents angry because we wanted to have our own place and a place that was maybe the house was a little bit nicer and you know a little more the farm in a little better location for business because it, where we lived was really out there. Mm -hmm. So Jennifer, you know, couldn't attract all the business she wanted to attract. So we started looking for at for our own place, which didn't make her mom very happy. Um, we, and it was a couple of years in, we started looking for our own place. And then we ended up, the realtor who I knew was a friend, took us to look at this place. And I said, we, we needed a map. She needed a map to show us the house. It, it was 23 rooms, six bathrooms, 6,000 square feet. And, and it had seven garages, literally seven garages. It had this big barn that was a cow barn. And then the 30, 20, 30 acres. And it was really, really nice, except it was way over our price range. <laughs> it was not something. <laughs> and I was like, why are you showing this to us? And she's like, well, the buyer has had this for sale forever. Well, it was a reason. The house was really strange. It had this small, tiny little kitchen in this great big house. You know, that hadn't been updated in years. And it had a bank vault right in the middle of the house, this full-size bank vault with the big bank vault door because the guy was a gun collector. So, I mean, the house was, it had seven thermostats in the house. Oh my gosh. The, the electric bill was $500 a month. Oh my gosh. And the heat, that's not heat. The heat in the winter was, it was incredible. It was oil and we had 500 gallon tank. 
So it had seven thermostats, all hot water heat throughout the entire place. And it had a business area in the back. That was his store. He sold guns. So this is huge open room in the back uh, with bathroom and everything. It was really set off to be a business. And so we, of course, we bought it. <laughs> uh, and that was a funny story, too. I said, we're never going to get approved. I'm self-employed. They don't like self-employed, especially back in those days. She's self-employed. We're both self-employed. And and the realtor said, no, you don't worry about that. And then uh, I said, well, what do you mean we have to like worry about that? It's, we're getting a loan. Yeah. And the owner of the property, uh, we met him then, and we kind of settled on a price, which was much less than he was asking, like half. And he said, you don't worry about the loan. I said, well, this is our problem. And he said, you don't worry about the loan. You go in and see so-and-so at the little bank in town. It's one branch. Little bank in town, and you get your loan. So we go in there, and we sit down, and he says, name, address, social security number. Okay, I'll call you tomorrow. No application, no tax returns, nothing. So the next day, I get a call. You've been approved for loan. You're good to go. Wow. Well, it turns out that the owner of the property who sold us that property was the largest investor in that bank to the tune of millions of dollars. So all he did was say, I haven't been able to sell this property for years. You're giving them the loan. <laughs> and we're calling it a day. And that's exactly what happened. We closed 30 days later. Uh, that's how we ended up with the big house and uh, all of that. <laughs> that's what led us to having a tack business because it was set up for it. Yeah. You know, and, and all that came after that was because that one guy was the largest investor in the bank. Otherwise, we'd have never got that loan from any other bank. That's amazing. That's serendipity. You know, that's where you feel like some hand came down from the higher and was like, okay, here you go. This is something you guys need to do at this point in your lives. We're going to hook you up. Now, nobody warned us about keeping up a 5,000, 6,000 square foot <laughs> house with six bathrooms. And <laughs> that was my next question. Once you once you closed on that loan and they, you, know, you had the keys to your new house, did you look around and go, oh, crap, well, now what? The first problem was that the barn had been used for cows and was piled in poop up to the rafters. Oh. So we had to dig all that out. Then we had to gut everything out of the barn and rebuild the stalls. There was no fencing. We had to put up miles of fencing. So there was a lot to do when we first moved in. And it was it was a chore. It really was a chore. It yeah. Months. And, it, you know, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I look back on the days when, you know, you took on those kinds of projects. I don't ever want to go back to that place no. again. No, and that's why when we moved out of that house, you know, obviously I've talked about the lime problem and the reason we had to sell everything. Uh, we moved out. We said we were going to never own a house where we had to unplug the vacuum more than once. Mm. And that's been Very our good rule. <laughs> so, uh, and we've never been in a house. Where vet, and we always said we'd always rent from then on. And we always have rented from then on. Yeah. It, lean living is a little, it, no, I don't want to say a little less stressful. It's a lot less stressful. It is because, you know, when something breaks here, our landlord fixes it right away. And yeah, it I depends don't. on the kinds of things that you stress out about, and have your home is a is a really big stressor. For, now we've for had a lot crappy landlords along the way though too, because we moved like what ten times. Yeah, Alina would never knew where we were living at the time at, at any given point. Um, and I was like, I have your cell phone number. <laughs> uh, what state are you in now? Is it snowing there or not? <laughs> but we moved a lot, so we had good landlords along the way, and some pretty crappy ones too. Uh, both how did with, you guys? How did you guys make friends? Or how did you know you're you're both pretty um, outgoing, warm people, but, you know, and so Jennifer is really immersed in the, the horse world. How did you maintain sort of an individuality 
and, or an independence from that. Well, I was and, and how did you make a good friends? Question, actually, she she did because she we had a lot of people at the barn. She was teaching a lot of lessons. We had a lot of boarders, and today our some of our best friends are still from that barn twenty five years ago. Uh, we're still talk to them. We're still friends with them. We still you know do things with them. So th- those friendships really did last over the years. Uh, yeah. And then uh, and some some were really upset when we had to sell everything. But yeah, so I made them at work. And I'm still friends with a lot of those people from my sales job, from my real job over the years. And that changed over the years too. I became corporate and, and all that. And I taught sales for many years. So I made a lot of friends from there. And now through Facebook, once Facebook came along, it was it was great to reconnect with a lot of the people you'd lost contact with, including my entire acting company. You know, uh, yeah. we've been able to rekindle some of that with them. And it's, you know, talking to them on the phone, it's like we never stopped. Uh, I say once you've changed in a dressing room together for, for 10 years, 450 shows, you're, you're going to be friends forever. <laughs> you are going to be friends forever. And, and those friendships really have lasted over the years, too. Wow. And have you, over the years, I guess from the day, from the time that you first took that job working at the Renaissance Fair at, to today. I mean, you definitely have an entrepreneurial spirit, no doubt about it. How, how do you, what do you think is the most significant change from the Glen back in those days to the Glen of today? I still work too much. Um, a significant change. I would say the most significant change is our lifestyle is a lot simpler. And, you know, we used to be, I think you go through stages in life. Some people never get out of the first stage, which is the stuff stage. Yeah. When you're young and you're making money and you collect stuff. You know, when we had that auction from that house, it was 12 hours of auction, selling off all our stuff. It's because we had filled every garage. We had filled the 6,000-square-foot house. You tend to fill the space that you're allotted, right? That so, is such an important observation. It is yeah. true. And Be we careful were, of the space because you'll fill it. We were things people back then, and I think now we're experienced people. We definitely live for experiences. It's the reason we love to travel and do the weird things that we do on vacations. And, you know, it's the reason we do it. And that's what we spend our, we choose to spend our money on. We just got new couches in our living room. The old ones were 20 years old and been moved about 12 times. Um, you pretty much were hitting the floor. So we're not, you know, we're not, we're not into things. We could care less about things. What we, what we're really into now is experiences. And I think that changes for a lot of people in life over the years. Is that why you're so excited about these cruises and these trips that you yeah, want, you go on? Because it's experiences. Like, you know, we're going to do an RV tour of Texas here with the listeners, meeting a bunch of listeners and co-hosts in September. And, you know, that's, we're, we're so looking forward to that because, again, it's the experience. Who, who, and plus, who else gets to do that cool stuff? You know, it's, it's just a lot of fun. No matter, where, no matter where you and I now go in the country, we have friends. Mm, it's true. It's true. We met some people at the boat show on Sunday and uh, my co-host from around the buoy, his wife was there and she heard Buck and I talking and she goes, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. (laughs) She's like, I'm so used to listening to you guys uh, on that Newport show here and here you are right like right behind me. She's like, this is really weird. (laughs) And you don't realize how how used to people get to listening to you and how connected you get to people so remotely in Australia, New Zealand, Italy, Canada, right? It still freaks me out when we get together with them and 
they know everything. You forget yeah. they know everything because it's just me talking to you or me talking to Jamie or whatever, right? It's just yeah. us talking. And we sometimes, you know, we get so into our show and talking to the guests and having fun that we forget people are listening. So, yep. and we forget that we've, t- we've pretty much over the last nine years, you and I especially, and well, Jamie more than any of us actually, but you and I have talked about everything in our lives over the last nine years. So, you know, they know you went through a divorce. They know all the farms and the things you've gone through and the things I've gone through and how many thousands of times I've moved since we started these shows. They know all of that and we forget they know it. So let's give them something that they don't know. What? And now you might not want to, you know, share. (laughs) some stuff. There's always something that you, in fact, Buck and I were just talking about this. What, like you and I, and we, we tend to wear our hearts on our sleeves. Yeah. Like if we like, think what it, haven't then, we told? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If we think it, the rest of the world suddenly knows it. Uh, are there things that you like to keep private or that you, you do kind of hold close to your chest that you think, yeah, the world at large just doesn't really need to, they don't really need to know that, or I don't need to share that thing with them. Well, there isn't much. Um, you know, if I'm not answering, the, if we're not talking about it here in the shows, I've done so many interviews with other podcasters that have asked me questions that I think it's all out there. Uh, you know, I I was thinking the other day, actually, the auditors posted on the Facebook page. This was a good thing, actually. They asked, what do you do beside horses? One of them asked, they wanted to find out what the hobbies were. Mm-hmm. And there were, what, 100 posts on there, people telling their hobbies. And I'm going, what is my hobby? I work and play with the horses. I don't have a hobby. Other than that, I, you know, I used to play video games. I used to do that kind of stuff, but I really don't have one now other than work and work is kind of my hobby now. And thinking, <laughs> thinking is a hobby. Yeah. For you. And I do too much of that, but yeah, well, I mean, that's it. I mean, I don't really have, and they, these people are all talking about, you know, sewing and, and all the different things they do. And I was going, wow, am I delinquent? I don't have that. Mind to link it. No, I mean, I don't think that everybody needs a hobby. There, I think there's this misconception in, in the world that if you don't have some kind of hobby or, or you know, commonly accepted passion, that there's something wrong with you. There are a lot of people who are very content with their work, their relationships, what they have to eat, their families, and they're fulfilled with that. Um. And I think that's okay. That's enough. Well, you know, really. I, now that I'm thinking about it, cooking. I, I do like to cook. Everybody knows that. I've talked about the fact that I like to cook. So I do like to cook. But I think one of the things, if, if I'm going to reword your question a little bit, um, one of the things that I truly enjoy now that's not work or horses that Jennifer and I both love is yeah. every night, 7 o'clock, we're on the recliners watching TV together. And <laughs> that's our time. You know, because we're working together all day, it's been very hard over the years to separate work from – because we work at home and we work together in the same job. So when you – it's hard to cut it off. Mm. And sometimes we go out to dinner we say, oh, we're not talking about work right now. And then we have nothing to talk about because it is our lives, right? It's sad, but it's true. So, you know, when we, when we hit TV at night – and, you know, I know a lot of people are anti-TV or whatever. For us, it's our time. Yeah, because then it forces us to forget about work. We have to be forced. We have to have a distraction to not be thinking about work because work is just in the other room. Well, everybody needs to detach. We all need to check out a little bit. You guys are aware of it. This is very conscious downtime for you. Some people read books. Some people listen to podcasts. You and Jennifer like to sit down and be quiet because guess what? 
you're chattering all day long. <laughs> and when you're not people. chattering, you're listening to other people's chatter. That's true. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's true. A, you, you, some people can do TV. Other people have to do other things. Uh, but I like the fact that you do things together. You're such a good role model for relationships. I, I mean, <laughs> no, I, you are, you, you really are. You're, you're very connected. And I know that when people have, um, people let other things get in between their relationships just because you don't have kids doesn't mean you've got it made. You have careers, you have hobbies and horses, you have all kinds of things that could get in between your relationship. But you and Jennifer have always put yourself, you put your relationship first. Yeah, and we've had some rough patches along the way, and I think you learned that the hard way. You do. Yeah, I you think do, every can't. couple learns that the hard way. Exactly. You you can't not learn it without some kind of pain. But I do think that you're, uh, well, you're a good role model for me anyway, and I know that my husband, Buck, just thinks great things about you guys. because we haven't spent any time together. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, I say this all the time. Oh, so-and-so is so nice, but we're not married to them. That's right. <laughs> You know, everything changes and when you live together. <laughs> familiarity breeds contempt. There's no way around it. It, it. it really does. That is true. I mean, every relationship, we've had our really rough patches over the years. And, it, you know, it, before I got sick, it was business. It was, you know, fights over business. It was fights over money like everybody else, right? Everybody has those, yeah. those not fights necessarily, but Jennifer and I don't fight much. Never have. But you know, disagreements. Let's say, uh, we, I can remember one or two yelling, scream out fights in, two, in 30 years. But yeah, I, we, when I got sick, everything changed. That, you know, that's when everything changed. Because then it was all about how do we survive? Yeah. You know, because the income had stopped. And it was a year. You know, you, you saw me at some of my worst, actually, when we first met. I sure met. did. You know, we first and met. And you still had such a good attitude. Like, I just adored you right away. And, and like, I never would have now, you know, knowing you after you have, um, sort of learned how to manage your illness. I, now I know how sick you were back then, but when I first met you, I would never have said this guy's sick. Yeah. We I didn't drive a- when we were up there and first met you. I didn't drive for six months. Oh goodness. Yeah. Because I couldn't, you know, Jennifer would have to come home and she was working with you. I mean, she was working a thousand hours a week. Yeah. Um, yep. fortunately, and I'm going to give credit here, uh, John Nunn from Bit of Britain. I worked for Bit of Britain back then and worked at home and he was good about, cause I could only work a couple hours, you know, a couple hours at a time and then I'd have to sleep. Um, and he, he didn't care when I worked. So it was two in the morning. It was, you know, it was two hours here, two hours here all day long. He didn't care. And he was so good about that. I have to give him credit for that. Cause I don't know that we would have survived financially during that time. Had I not had that particular job with Bitter Britain. Yeah. So I give John kudos for that. Well, you were good. You were a valuable asset to his company. So I can, I'm still being blamed for tack of the day. All these years <laughs> later. Well, how have you, how is your Lyme disease today? And what are you, what are your thoughts about managing or dealing with Lyme as we go into the future? I still have bad days. You know, I, I, I'm on a diet, no sugar, no gluten, <clears throat> been for years, but you still have bad days. I mean, the little guys act up when you're stressed, they act up more. So, you know, I try and keep it as low as I can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the more stressed you are, the the sicker you can get. And because mine's neurological, that's really bad for what I do for a living. I can't get sentences out right. And Helena knows when I'm having a bad day because I'll say things mm-hmm. backwards or 
and I don't notice it, but you do. And listeners that have been listening a long time know when I'm having a bad day too. Um, but you know, you do learn to manage it. And, uh, you know, the hard part is when you, when you're starting to have really bad days, uh, the first thing that happens with me is I just get irritable and that mm-hmm. affects Jennifer more than anybody. So she'll say, she'll tell me, and I don't notice I'm getting irritable. That's the thing. You don't notice it. And she'll tell me, oh, bad day's coming. <laughs> she'll just mm-hmm. That's, I do the same thing to Buck. Like we, we can sense what changes. Yeah. About I mean, he's dealing with thing. a much worse illness than me. You know, he's, he's got some challenges there that it's hard for him to keep positive sometimes, I'm sure. Chronic illness, it, chronic disease is is challenging. And when you live with someone who loves you deeply, you end up trusting their their instincts. You, you know? have to because you know, especially if it's neurological, you can't you don't you can't trust your own because <laughs> so you yeah. don't even know what you're thinking at sometimes. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because Emily from the jumping show had a concussion, bad concussion, cracked her helmet in half, um, and has been out of commission for about six weeks. And we had a we did a show together last week, and I was having a little bit of bad Lyme day, and she's, of course, having <laughs> having concussion. Um, and just coming off of that, we, we determined that between the two of us, we had one full mind. We had mm. a one functioning mind. And I kind of determined, I kind of saw the correlation between what she's going through with a concussion and what, if you have the neurological form of Lyme, it acts kind of the same way. Uh, so it was interesting for us to compare notes. And and, huh. and she had a new appreciation for what I go through. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was just, it was just very, very interesting. You know, there's, there's something to be said for it. You don't have to have the same disease in order to uh, feel camaraderie or to feel supported. You can just have the same challenges, whatever the underlying causes for those challenges. It really does help to have somebody who can relate to and, those. And I would not have made it without Jennifer all those years. There's yeah. no way. I, because I was too sick. There is no way. I, I wouldn't have made it. I don't know what I would have done. I wouldn't have made it. Well, we're we're all glad. We're all glad that you found some healthy ways to deal with it and to be more healthy. Like it's just so I'm I can so glad. annoy all of you every week. I'm so glad <laughs> because it just it makes me feel good to be like, oh, okay, Gun's feeling good and happy and healthy and strong. And you're you know you're still figuring out what works and what doesn't. But you're you're kind of owning it now. You're you're like, all right. Yeah, when I'm having a bad day, fifty percent. And then I remember, I remember after when I started to feel better, Helena was like, "Oh, this is what he's really like." <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's well, when he started having pity parties for Jennifer. Hopefully, hopefully this conversation, of course, we had no idea it was going to go in this direction. No. Hopefully, um, getting to know Glenn in this way is fascinating to our listeners. I can never get enough. I mean, you it doesn't matter how long you're friends with somebody or even if you live with them, there's always something that you can dig into that helps you to appreciate people in your life a little bit more. And I loved hearing these stories. Some I've heard before and some new pieces of information I didn't know. So thank you, Glenn, for thank sharing you, that Helena, much more. for being us. kind and not picking on me. No, All right. can't. You get once a year, you get my total kindness. <laughs> That's, That's about it. it, too. All right, let's uh, take a break. We're going to hear about one of our sponsors. Uh, and we're going to come right back with the Tack and Habit segment. 
Sparkle & Boom is a marketing company catering to small and medium-sized businesses. Their goal is to add some sparkle to your marketing in order to get some boom in your bottom line. They do it by engaging your target market with an elegant style and genuine message. A message that shines a light on what's appealing, unique, better, and awesome about your business. Sparkle & Boom can help you to reach new customers with a message that is both meaningful and effective at driving new business. Click over to sparkleandboom.com. For more information, that's sparkleandboom.com. Next up, my favorite segment, Tack and Habit, sponsored by horselovers.com. Our reviewer today is Marissa Kreider, and she is, I'm really happy, I'm happy every time we have someone come on and review, but I'm in the market for some short boots, and she's going to review the Ovation Mudster Zip and Go Short Boot, because that should be my nickname, Zip and Go, Zip and Go Short Boot. <laughs> Welcome to Stable Scoop, Kinda Marissa. Should, actually. <laughs> Stop <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. Hi. I was nice to you. So, um, Okay. First, tell us a little bit about you. What's your horse life look like? Do you have a horse? What kind of discipline do you ride? And what is what do you do in the barn? Well, I actually have three horses. The one of them technically belongs to my husband. Uh, I've got one retired guy and one guy that I ride regularly. And then I ride a few horses that belong to, you know, some of my friends too, because, you know, you can never have too many. Uh, my main discipline is dressage, but of late, on um, kind of a dare, uh, I'm going to actually try doing an event this fall. So <laughs> I may die. Awesome. So do you keep your horses at home? No, I actually keep them at a barn that's about 15 minutes from my house. It's actually run by a close friend of mine, and I do a lot of the barn tours there, so it's kind of like home. Okay. All right. So you, you rely on your footwear. You, you need them to get this job done. I do. Yes. Um, what made you interested in trying these particular boots? Like set us up for why a short waterproof paddock boot is important to you. Well, you know, I had thought, I mean, I live in Virginia and, you know, kind of like a lot of places in the mid Atlantic, we get mud, we get a lot of mud and, um, it's not just, it's boot sucking deep mud. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, the horses you know we are a small family barn we don't have those fancy like mud baffles i think that you can put in the paddocks to keep mud from getting truly boot secondly deep yeah so i rely on the footwear to keep my feet dry and um do you want me to talk about the boots a little bit go right go for it yep okay so this is i'm kind of 50 50 on them i'm not, I mean, I definitely, I wear them around the house. I also have dogs and I've got show dogs. I've got kettles and that type of thing too. And they are fantastic for that. They are very, very comfortable. They're kind of odd. They remind me more of like a sock that would go with a wetsuit than mm. something I would wear to a barn. They don't have a, um, you know how riding boots have a shank in the footbed? Yeah. These don't have that. So I'm not sure, even though there's a spur rest on them and all, I'm not sure I would recommend necessarily riding in them. But, I mean, they do keep your feet warm and dry. Um, honestly, I wore them a couple of times to the barn and used them, but when the mud starts getting deeper, I end up going back to, and I, and I love Ovation, I've got my Ovation country boots, and I go back to those. Okay. So, 
Um, so they just they don't just, grip. They just don't like, they're not firm enough on your foot to really, to, to manage the deepest, stickiest mud. Yeah. They kind of feel like a wetsuit sock. I mean, you yeah. know what I'm talking about? You know, like surfers would wear that yep. kind of how they feel. They're neoprene, they're soft. And the other thing that occurred to me was if I were to, and I really try hard not to end up with my feet underneath my horse, I don't feel like that they would provide very much protection. I mean, certainly more than walking around in flip-flops, but not even as much as I feel like a pair of leather paddock boots would. Yeah. So, so the, so the, but the footbed is a harder rubber. It's a, it's, um, you know, the, the top of the foot, I mean, the top of the boot is the neoprene, but the bottom is a rubber, right? Yeah. I mean, it is a rubber, but it's not a hard rubber. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, you know, like I could wrap my foot around and grip something in it. I mean, really, I mean, the best thing I could describe was like, you know, like surfers would wear, I could grip the surfboard in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, so I get that. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the description too, and it really doesn't say that they're made for riding. So I think you're right about that. It really, it doesn't say that at all. It just says barn. Boot. Yeah. Yeah. But they do have a spur rest. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Which so I what's, thought was weird. I was like, well, these would clearly not be made for riding. Well, they got a spur yeah. rest on them, but yeah, I'm not sure I would. But uh, um, I mean, but I have to say they are epically comfortable. Like ah, I was okay. just wearing them last night when I was uh, um, taking care of the dogs and I was out in the dark because I had to wait until late because the neighbors were shooting off fireworks. And, you know, then going out, letting all the dogs out and, you know, checking into making sure everybody's okay and all of that. They're my go-to for that. Or like and in Florida, really when we go outside in the morning, it's dewy every morning. It's just yeah, dripping I mean, with dew. <laughs> so this might be a that. better garden shoe, backyard type of light duty boot yeah, versus heavy duty barn chores. Okay. Now, I understand they have a taller version, and I think they're on the right track for having a really good mud type boot. So the taller version is probably more of what I should have gone for. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They make a, a mudster tall barn boot, which yeah, looks I, a little bit more like what you would need. Yeah. I, you know, and I, like I said, I wear my country boots, my Asian country boots. I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> you know, I wear them all the time. Yeah, absolutely. But, I like the fact that, that they're comfortable and they're short and that they have a zipper. So it's kind of easy in, easy out. Would you say that that's true? Oh, that's very true. And I do love the zipper. I mean, all of my paddock boots have zippers. So, you know, I do love the zipper on them. Yeah, and zip and it's, go. Not, it's not one of those super fine zippers that you get. It's a nice, thick, chunky zipper that I don't think is going to bind up if dirt gets in it. Oh, thank God. Yeah, that's, that's always a pain. That's the story of my life, yeah. All right, you can find <laughs> yeah. these at horselovers.com. They're the Ovation Ladies Mudster Zip and Go Short Boots. Here we go with the names again. Uh, yeah, yeah. $53 right now as we're recording this at horselovers.com, so the price is certainly right. Thank you, Marissa, for for sharing this with us. We really appreciate it. And good luck with your first event. Oh, gosh, I may die. I really may die. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that, too. (laughs) All right, thanks. All right, thanks. Bye. 
Well, that's it for this week's Stable Scoop radio show. You can find all of the shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. You can also listen to all 14 of the different shows that we do over on our app, iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. It's free, it's easy, it's simple to download, and I think you'll really enjoy listening there. You can find Helena at thatnewportshow.com or sparkleandboom.com. And we'll be back again next week with another fascinating story of a fascinating person in the horse world. Well, that's it for this week. Happy scooping, everybody. Mm -hmm.